In the movie, The, the Hiding Place, it's based on the autobiography of Corey Ten Boone, there is this powerful scene. Corey and her sister Betsy are in a concentration camp in Germany during World War II. Now, they weren't Jews, but Corey and her family have been sent to the camp by the Germans because they were suspected of hiding and protecting Jews that had been destined to go to the camps. And so Corey and Betsy are in this terrible place, suffering horrible conditions. They're there with about 10,000 women. They're cold, hungry, dirty. They're, they're, they're covered in lice. And there's Betsy. And she's leading a Bible study. And then one of the women in the dormitory cries out in this voice that is just full of contempt. If your God is such a good God, then why? Why does he allow this kind of suffering? And then she slowly removes these dirty rags from her hands and the women for the first time can see what the Germans had done to her. They can see her broken, mangled fingers. And then she adds, I was the first violinist in the symphony orchestra. This woman who had been the, the best violinist in the entire country would never again be able to play the violin. If your God is such a good God, then why does he allow this kind of suffering? That's a good question. That's a good question. She had done nothing wrong, and yet there she was, experiencing unjust suffering. Have you ever asked a question like that? I have, more than once. One time was after I had been fired for refusing to participate in insurance fraud at the place where I worked. We were forced to move, but God didn't get our house sold for many months. It caused significant financial distress that, that we felt for years. What unjust suffering have you experienced? What made you ask a question like that? Perhaps your distress was caused by someone who told lies about you and the gossip. It destroyed a good relationship. Or maybe your distress was caused by being ridiculed by being bullied because you didn't fit in. Maybe you're too heavy or, or too thin. You weren't rich enough. Maybe you wore glasses. Or perhaps your skin was of a different color. Or you were of a different ethnicity. Or you weren't athletic enough or smart enough. Or maybe it was the time when someone at work took the credit for your ideas or your work. And they got the praise or the promotion instead of you. All of us at some time face distress from being wronged. We, we, we hate the anxiety that distressing circumstances can cause. When we face being wronged and we don't deserve it. We want to feel safe, secure to experience peace, but how can we experience peace when we have been wronged and we don't deserve it? Well, Psalm 4 tells us how we can experience peace instead of anxiety when we've been wronged. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 4. Our text this morning will be Psalm 4. Psalm 4. 
And first, we will hear about being wronged. Second, we'll hear, remember God. And third, we will consider, help your enemy. Being wronged, remember God, and help your enemy. You see, being wrong causes distress to God's people. You know, sometimes the distress we face is because of something we have done wrong. But other times, the distress we face is because someone else has done something wrong to us. And that was David's situation. David's distress was caused by what we can call character assassination. Look with me at verse 1. David wrote, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And David was calling out to God for help, and he called himself righteous. That means that he did what was right in God's eyes. He was a godly man. Now, it's not a claim to being perfect, but he truly did seek to follow God and his ways. And yet, here he was experiencing distress. And because God had delivered him from distress in the past, he calls out to God to do it again. Answer me when I call, O God. Hear my prayer. And then in verse 2, David told us why he was so distressed. Look at what he said. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Some men were attacking his character. They were trying to shame him to ruin his reputation. And the attack was not deserved. David had done nothing wrong. And notice that the men were speaking vain words. In other words, they were telling lies about David. And even though these accusations were not true, the damage they caused, just as bad as if they had been true. It is character assassination. These men were trying to keep David from experiencing the good life by killing off his good reputation. As the person who wrote this psalm, what is David doing here? Well, as David wrote to God's people, he knew that there would be times when they would experience distress from being wronged. And it might come from people who were sitting under their leadership. It might come from people who were experiencing their ministry. But whatever it was, rather than being grateful for the leadership or the ministry, instead of being grateful, they would attack and try to harm the person doing the ministry by damaging the reputation. And because of these character assassins, God might be the only one who knew that the person doing the ministry was innocent of what they were being accused. And certainly God was the only one who had the power to fully redeem the situation. And so the, the person under attack should cry out to God. This God who sees all, the God of all power, the God who has perfect justice and always does what is right. Because this kind of God can be expected to uphold the honor of the person who's been falsely accused. This kind of God can be expected to give the grace to be able to persevere through the distress of these unjust attacks. Just like we see here with David, you 
might undergo character assassination. It might be someone telling lies about you like we see here with David. Maybe it's someone who's trying to cast gout on your motives when you've done something good. Perhaps you've been judged unjustly because you belong to a different ethnic group. People who are supposed to respond with gratitude when you help them, instead they attack you. And it's not a direct attack, it's a sneak attack. They're trying to harm you by ruining your reputation. Prior to becoming a pastor, I was an orthopedic surgeon. I'd been at this clinic for about a year. This woman came in, she's complaining of some pain in her hip area. After doing an evaluation and telling her how she could get over this and recover completely, she left. About a month later, I get a letter from the state medical board. And they told me they were opening an investigation. <laughs> what? I had done nothing wrong. Well, it turns out when she left, she was upset because I didn't do what she wanted, which was to give her a prescription for some narcotics. And so when she left, she complained to the medical board. When they investigated, fortunately, they found out she lied and they cleared me, but for a few weeks, it was nerve-wracking. I found out that when your reputation is attacked, not only is the, the good name of your character at stake, but so too is your job. Now that will cause some distress. Well, we've seen the problem of being wronged. How can we experience peace? Well, when you're in distress from being wronged, remember God. When you've been wronged, whether it's by character assassination or it's by something else, remember God. You see, when David remembered God, when he had been wronged, it brought him peace. Let's look, look at how David experienced peace by remembering God. We've already seen the first part of this in verse 1. Look at the middle of verse 1 again. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David remembered times when God had come through for him in the past. When he had rescued him from distress. The second part of remembering God, we see that in verse 3. Let's look at that. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Here, David remembered God's promise to Abraham. That was when God said that he was going to set apart a people for himself. He said, I will be their God. They will be my people. And he made a promise to bless them. In fact, he sealed the deal by entering into a covenant with Abraham, committing himself to keep his promise forever. And so David was confident that God would hear his prayers because David was part of God's own people. That's great. But David runs into a problem. Look with me at verse 6. David wrote, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You see, when you are really feeling distressed, doubt can rear its ugly head. You might doubt that God is with you. You may doubt that he really will bless you. And as David points out here, other people are likely to chime in. See that? There are many who say, 
who will show us some good. And so the question here is, can God, indeed, will God, do us any good? More personally, does God care enough about me to do me some good? To deliver me from my distress? David's answer is a confident yes. Even with the distress, even with the doubt, even with others chiming in, David knows that when he's in distress that he can get peace by remembering God. He's been setting us up for this answer all along. Look at verse 1. David said when he remembered, he remembered that God had rescued him from distress in the past. In verse 3, David remembered that God had made him a part of his own people with a promise to bless here in verse 6, David remembered the prayer that God asked Aaron, the priest, to pray over his people way back in the time of Moses. And the second half of this verse 6 represents the whole prayer that God asked Aaron to pray. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. You probably have heard this before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. That means to, to put his face towards you, to, to be in his presence, and to give you peace. I mean, in, in this prayer, we get a wonderful picture of God and his people, about his presence, as blessing them, doing good for them, giving them his peace. And that's exactly what David is counting on God to do here, to remain faithful to David in this way, because David is part of God's own people. So here is David. He was in distress. He was being wronged by these people under his ministry and that he could confidently cry out to God. Confident because he remembered God and God's promises and his faithfulness as previous times of rescue. Confident because this God was with him. And because God had been good to him in the past, he could be counted on to be good to him yet again in the future. And so what was the result when David remembered God when he was being wronged? He tells us. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. David wrote, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, we need to keep in mind that in David's setting, to experience the, the good life, to feel secure, it meant you had to have a good harvest. You would have enough food for now and enough food for the foreseeable future. No worries about a shortage. And so that, why, that is why David can say here in verse 7 that experiencing God's grace and goodness has put more joy in his heart than people have when they have a great harvest. It's like God is blessing the socks off his people. For us, it would be like we have a house and the mortgage is paid off. And we have free food and free gas for the rest of our lives. And our retirement account is fully funded. Or maybe as a, as a student, it means all of your homework assignments have been done for you. All your tests taken care of. And, and when you graduate, you've got a 
a great job waiting for you. You can't be fired. It's got great benefits. I mean, can you imagine? How would you feel? Well, I think you'd feel like David. I, I know I would. Let's look at verse 8 again, and we'll look at a little bit more detail about how David felt when he remembered God after experiencing being wronged. We'll look at verse 8 part by part. In the first part, David wrote, in peace, I will lie down. Now, we're talking about genuine peace. It's not just the absence of conflict. We're talking about the peace that also comes from just a, a general being, a sense of being fulfilled. Everything is right with my world because God is with me and he has promised to bless me abundantly. In the second part, David writes, in peace, I will sleep. And I can sleep like a baby because, and Sarah can attest to that fact for me. But I can sleep like a baby because God is with me. I don't have to worry about this situation, even though people have wronged me and others doubt. No, I can sleep like a baby because God is with me. And he will do good for me. I don't have to strive to obtain my own good. No, God will take care of it. And then the third part, David finishes verse 8. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God and God alone can provide genuine safety for David. Have you thought much about David? The shepherd who was made king? Like you and me, David has experienced some of life's highs, but he's also experienced some of life's lowest lows. In the midst of all of that, he can say about God, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What a picture of God and of us. God is not just the creator, the almighty. He is also the shepherd who knows each one of his sheep, you and me, personally. And what a picture of God's heart. God wants us to be with him. He wants us to experience the peace, the safety, the provisions that only he can give. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me down, makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me besides still waters. David certainly had those mountaintop experiences, didn't he? He killed the giant Goliath. God made him king. He gave him success in ways that we can barely imagine. But David also experienced some pretty low lows. His wife lost a child in childbirth. His son had him removed from the throne and tried to kill him. And yet through it all, in the midst of these highs and these lows, out of the depths of his heart, David can say, the Lord, the Almighty, is my shepherd. And because that is true, I shall not want. And so as David wrote to God's people, he knew that, that their only hope for genuine peace and rest when they've been wronged and they don't deserve it is to remember God, to remember who he is, to remember what he is like, 
to remember what he does for his people. You've probably heard it said that sometimes God calms the storm and sometimes he calms us. Sometimes God's deliverance means that he removes his people from the distressing circumstances or at least facing the consequences of them. But other times, God's deliverance looks quite a bit different. He leaves his people in those distressing circumstances. But he is with them in the midst of those circumstances. And he can remove the anxiety and replace it with his peace. The peace that the Apostle Paul says surpasses our ability to understand it. And David reminds us that peace comes from remembering that God is with us, that God is in control, that he is faithful to love and do good for us. And he knew that the only way to genuine peace was to trust this kind of God. Not relying on the ways of the world, not even relying on other Christians, but relying on God alone. Because only God is truly sovereign and in control. Only God has perfect love and goodness and wisdom. Only God is all-powerful and therefore can guarantee that he can fully redeem those distressing circumstances. I mean, it's no wonder that David could write words like this. And for you and me, that is the kind of relationship that we have with God if we've placed our trust in Jesus for our salvation. Trusting Jesus to save us, believing that we, when he died on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, that his death paid the penalty for sin that we ourselves deserve to pay. And that when he rose three days later, it proved not only that he had power over death, but proved that his Father in heaven accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. Payment in full for our sins. You see, when we trust Jesus, then we have a right relationship with God. And Jesus has promised that he will be with us every step of the way, forever. Loving us and doing good for us. When we have that relationship with Jesus, when we trust Jesus like David trusted God, that is the recipe to have peace instead of anxiety when we have been wronged. The ten Boone sisters understood this. Remember that question that the violinist asked Betsy? If your God is such a good God, then why does he allow this kind of suffering? Well, Corey walked up to her sister. And then she said this. We, we can't answer that question. We, we don't know why. All we know is that God came down to earth. He became one of us and he entered into our suffering and suffered with us. In fact, he was crucified and died. And he did that for love. In other words... Jesus did that for you, and he did it for me, because he loves us. And don't you think that if he was willing to do that, that he'll be with you in the midst of your suffering from being wronged? 
and we'll see you right through that to the end. Jesus knows what it's like to be wronged. Just like you do. Well, we've seen the problem of being wronged. We've seen that the way to experience peace is to remember God, to remember Jesus. Now let's consider what she should do after that. Help your enemy to come to Jesus Christ. Help your enemy to come to Jesus Christ. Help your enemy to turn from their evil ways and to come to Jesus in faith. Look at me at what David said to his enemies, these men who had been doing wrong to him. We see this in verses 4 and 5. David wrote, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In verse 4, what is translated as be angry is the same verb that's used elsewhere to tremble in fear or in awe. It's, it's used of people being in awe and fear of God. Keep in mind what David has just said in the verse right before that, verse 3. That's when he reminded those men that God had set apart a people for himself. And by the way, I'm part of those people. And so what David is saying here in verse 4, it's when you remember who God is and that he stands up for his own people, including me, well, it should make you think twice about wronging me. But as we know, they've already done it. And so David is saying that they should keep their mouths shut. They should stop their sinning. Stop doing wrong to David that he doesn't deserve. And in fact, knowing about God and his ways, that should be enough to make them stop, change their ways, and do things the right way, God's way. In other words, to repent. And if his enemies do that, then what David said in verse 5, what can happen? These enemies will offer right sacrifices. That means they will worship God. And they can put their trust in God to get what they need. They won't have to resort to doing things like character assassination in order to get what they need. And notice that David is not seeking revenge on his enemies. In fact, he's not even asking God to punish them. Instead, he wants them to have a right relationship with God so they can be blessed by God just like he has been. If you think about it, his heart's desire is that these men become part of the people of God just like he is. He wants them to be saved. And David's hope is that when that happens, that they would learn to trust God to provide whatever they need for the good life. So they won't have to resort to doing things the world's way, the sinful way, like they have been. So what should your response be when you've been wronged and then you've been able to experience peace by remembering God? I think it's the same thing. Help your enemy to come to Jesus Christ. Help your enemy to come to Jesus Christ. Now, if the person who has wronged you is not a believer, you can simply start by praying for your enemy that the Spirit would work on their hearts, that the Spirit would open their eyes and let them see their sinfulness. 
let them see their need to be reconciled, to be made right with God, and that he would work on their hearts to bring them to salvation. So that this would indeed happen. And perhaps you could be the one to share the gospel with them. Being used by the Spirit to change them from being your enemies to being a brother or sister in Christ. Now that would be something. If the person who's wronged you is another Christian, again, you can start by praying for that person who has wronged you, and then you can choose to be a conduit of God's grace to them. To forgive them as God has forgiven you, and then consider stepping out of your comfort zone, moving beyond your pain for their benefit, lovingly and gently confronting them, helping to restore their relationship with God, their relationship with you, and their relationship with anyone else who has been adversely affected by their bad behavior. Well, we've seen the problem of experiencing distress from being wronged. We've seen that we can experience peace by remembering God, his character, his promises, times in the past when he's rescued us. And a good response when this happens to you is to help your enemy to come to Jesus Christ. When I was an orthopedic surgeon, I faced distress from being wronged. I discovered that the business office was changing the way I was doing my bills in order to overcharge insurance companies. One day, one of the partners came up and said, you're wasting the business people's time. We want you to go ahead and just put in the higher charges. I said, I can't do that. I'm a Christian and that's wrong. I won't do that. Within a week, I was fired without notice. We had to move uh, because of the contract caused significant financial stress that we felt for years down the road. Not right away, but eventually I was able to do what David did. I remembered God, his character, his promises. Remember times when he had provided for me and my family in the past. And I was able to forgive these men who had, who had wronged me. I was able to pray for their salvation and the salvation of their family. And in the process, God blessed me with genuine peace, with no leftover toxic anger. I, I don't know if they're safe, but it's been many years, but I still continue to pray for these men. And because they were Jewish, I pray that they would know accept and love Jesus as their Messiah so they can enjoy being with him forever and to worship him forever right alongside me and my family. My challenge to you this week is that you think about this. Who has wronged you? And how might the Holy Spirit use you to reach them for Christ this week? I want you to name names and then pray for the Spirit to specifically show you how he might use you to be a conduit of God's grace 
and mercy and love to them. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and loving and faithful. Thank you for that. Thank you for your concern for each one of us and for your grace, your blessings. Thank you for the peace that we can have even when we experience injustice. I would ask that you would help each one of us today and this week to remember times when you have gotten us through difficult times, especially when we have suffered unjustly. Help us to remember those who have wronged us. And not only show us the way you would have us reach them for Christ, but move us in such a way that we actually do it. And may this be for our good, for their good, and for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.